This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Peter Vincent's Fright Night, a mind-blowing experience of the occult and supernatural, a magical tour de force. Welcome to Fright Night, on stage at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. Kelsey. Yes. This week we're watching... Fright Night. It's a double feature. The late night double feature show. We are watching Fright Night from 1985 and Fright Night from 2011. <laughs> Surely, though, it was Fright Night 3D. <laughs> <laughs> Why haven't we looked that up yet? Don't need to. I'm positive. <laughs> All right, Kels. Yeah. Before we get into our Fright Night double feature... Do you have a slash card trivia question for me? I do, in fact. Get us started. Michael Jackson approached John Landis about directing the music video for Thriller after watching which of Landis's films? Well, it could be two different movies, I think. <laughs> but I think I'm going to say An American Werewolf in London. You would be correct. <laughs> uh, when was The Twilight Zone made? I think that's made in later 80s. Yeah. I think. I'm not positive. All right. Kelsey. Yes. <clears throat> As revealed in Exorcist 2, the heretic, what is the name of the demon that possessed Reagan McNeil in The Exorcist? You've already asked me this question. I did not. I sort of asked you this question. It wasn't a slash cards question, though. Oh, is it Pazuzu? It's Pazuzu. But did you know <laughs> it wasn't revealed until the second one? His name? Yeah. He's always Captain Howdy. That was the question that I asked you was about Captain Howdy. I feel like they say his name. I don't think they do. Hmm. We've seen both of them. Hmm. I say both because that's... Those are the only two Exorcist movies we've seen. I haven't seen the second Exorcist. Yeah, no, you and I watched it together. Did we really? Yep. Remember, there's like um, psychic power in a machine that like monitored brainwaves or some shit. Like you would lucid dream or something. Reagan was like an adult. I have no memory of this. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's all I remember of it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kels, moving on to Fright Night. Fright Night is a, I'd say it's a, it's a horror movie classic. Yeah. Totally, from 1985, directed by, written and directed by Tom Holland, starring Chris Sarandon, William Ragsdale, and Amanda Bierce. The premise is that a teenage boy believes his neighbor to be a vampire, and no one believes him. Yeah, it's one of those paranoia movies, a la The Burbs, <laughs> which came out around the same time, actually, now that I think about it. All right, this is definitely one, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's not available for free anywhere. I think we bought it on 
Amazon or yeah, something like that. I think so. Um, but definitely, it's worth it. Go ahead and get it. Pick it up. At least rent it and watch it because it's very, very good. Do that now. And when we come back, we'll talk about 1985's Fright Night. No one believed Charlie's neighbor was a vampire. Stop me, Charlie. He bit me. Until it was too late. Now, Charlie has to find a way to stop him. Peter Vincent, ready to do battle with the undead. <laughs> Beware of the evil that awaits you on Fright Night. Friday night at 8 on Q13. Kelsey! Yes. What's Fright Night about? We open up on Charlie's house, and when we first hear audio, we're supposed to think that it's actually happening, but it's not. It's on TV, and it is a man talking to a woman, and uh, he he's talking about how beautiful she is, and it's very obvious that he's describing... So pale. And so luminescent. Lumin- yeah. <laughs> I love the night so. I've never seen you look so beautiful before, Nina. So pale. So luminescent. So. Yes. Your lips are so red. Are they? Would you like to kiss them? He's describing a vampire. Yes, he's describing a vampire, and then she becomes a vampire. Why are you looking at me so strangely, Nina? Not you, Jonathan. Your neck. (laughs) She's like, your neck looks so beautiful. Come put your hand on my breast. Because then... Because then Roddy McDowell shows up as Peter Vincent. Peter Vincent. Who is a reference to... um, Vincent Price. And Peter Cushing. Really? I don't even know who that is. Uh, Peter Cushing is uh, uh, Grand Moth Tarkin. Oh, he is. That's right. He was Dracula. Uh, no, no, he wasn't Dracula. He was Van Helsing, I thought. Right? Wasn't he Van Helsing? No, he was actually. He was. I'm looking it up. Known for Grand Moff Tarkin, The Curse of Frankenstein. He played Victor Frankenstein. The Hound of the Baskervilles. He played Sherlock Holmes. Horror Express. He played Doctor Wells. Wait, you're talking about the guy who played Saruman, right? No, that's Christopher. Christopher Lee Lee he played Dracula he played Dracula who's Grand Moff Tarkin he's the guy who gave the order to blow up the planet of Alderaan in Star Wars he's the one that they made yeah then you're right when you said Grand Moff Tarkin I was like oh that's a Star Wars name so it's gotta be yeah he is uh Dr. Van Helsing in Horror of Dracula because Christopher Lee plays a bad guy in Star Wars Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for the prequels. (laughs) Anyway, so Peter Vincent shows up, played by Roddy McDowell. And he is holding the stake backwards. I wrote that too. It's a nice little touch. Yes. As he says his name, Peter Vincent. And when he says it, he holds up the stake and it's totally backwards just to be like a bad hammer horror production. Yes. We need to do more hammer horror movies, I feel. (laughs) And he, he's uh, hosting Fright Night, which is basically, if you've ever seen Elvira, 
It's right. the same idea. He he hosts and shows movies, but he only shows vampire movies and he only shows the ones that he was yes. in. <laughs> we we find out that it's all on TV and then we see our actual two main characters who are also making out on the yeah. floor. And Charlie, being the typical teenage boy, is William trying Ragsdale. to get more than his girlfriend wants. So she tells him to stop it. And his then his girlfriend, Amy, played by Amanda Bierce, who, if you think she looks familiar, she, she does. She really did. She's Marcy Darcy for Married with Children. I don't know that is. Seriously? Did you never watch Married with Children? No, I don't know who she is. Oh, was she the neighbor? She was the neighbor woman. Okay. That yeah. sounds familiar. So he's like, you know, we've been going together for almost a year and you've never, uh, you know, you never want to go any further. And she apologizes to him. She does that throughout oh, the film. She's such a weak character. She's very, very weak. I hate it so much. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Look, I'm really sorry about the other night. Oh, it was my fault, not yours. What? It's one of the reasons I kind of, I mean, we'll get there, but I feel like the Amy character... The Amy character is a little better in the remake. Yes. Uh, her story is better in this one. Yes. She has like no story in the remake, but we'll get there. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. And then she gets into bed and is getting ready to have sex for the first fucking time, which is a huge deal. Yeah. But our main character, Charlie, gets sidetracked. Yeah. He is looking out his window and he sees... His new neighbor and his live-in architect <laughs> carrying what looks to be a coffin down to the basement. Which is never a good sign. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he's so obsessed with that. And, and he tries to get her to look at it, too. But she's having none of it. And she storms off and they get into kind of a fight. And So anyway, they're, they're, it, it starts the idea that Charlie is like neglecting things that he should be paying attention to as a normal person and but he's not because he's paranoid and he's obsessed are like the two main characteristics of charlie in this movie and paranoid throughout and obsessed. the film everyone is just like you love horror movies so this is all in your head yeah you finally snapped or your as his mom always puts it having a nightmare or whatever it is yeah. or you know paranoid so it kind of harkens to the idea that, you know, if you like horror movies, then you're weird, you know? Like, oh, you 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 like horror movies, so this can't be real. Right. And I mean... You just let it get to your head. Right. And, it, it you know, it's a little personal for me, because I, you know, I had a student who I had to defend to his grandmother, and I had to be like, look, there's nothing wrong with enjoying horror movies. But a lot of people think it's weird. Yeah. And then a lot of people use that against you. So, like, if you wind up being a crazy person, they're like, oh, he was into horror movies, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. And it's such bullshit. He played the Doom video game and listened to Marilyn Manson. <laughs> anyway, so, so nobody believes him. We see Charlie at school. Amy's still pissed. But we also get introduced to... Evil Ed. <laughs> oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it. Evil Ed, played by 
Stephen Jeffries. Now, Evil Ed is an oddity. Yeah. He is... They don't give him a backstory, which makes it really hard to understand who he is. So the idea is, is that Evil Ed is even more of a like an expert in this stuff than Charlie is. But he's not as into it as Charlie is. No, like he knows it and he has the expertise, but like... It seems like Ed's the expert and Charlie is the rube, you know, so he kind of teases Charlie about that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you what? You believe all this shit? Like, yeah, I know it all, but you believe it? Yeah. Like, that's your nuts, Brewster. And specifically, Ed is. Ed's awful. Like, <laughs> do you mean awful as in acting? Acting. Or? Like, yeah, it's not great. Which is. But I love him so much. Because he is so weird and played so bizarrely, I don't know how that actor made that choice and how the director, like, was like, yes, perfect, do that. My only, like, the only way I can accept it is the, like, my imagination says there was more to him and they cut a lot of it out. Yeah. Because otherwise, I can't wrap my mind around how they they thought this is a good way to portray a character that we are not going to give any backstory to at all. Yeah, he just constantly laughs. Like that's his big trademark is is laughing and being overly loud. Yeah, and he makes fun of his friend all the time, which is funny because he hates it when his friend makes fun of him back. Yeah, he he can dish it out, but he can't take it. Right. Like, he's making fun of our main character because he failed um, pop quiz, and then his friend calls him evil, and obviously that's a name he doesn't like. Yeah, they don't explain. I kind of like and don't like that they don't explain why he's called evil. We see his bedroom, I think, once, and it's all decorated with, like, pop culture horror movie shit, and I guess that's where it comes from. I guess. But but other, other than that name, Evil Ed, and him being an expert in vampires... That one time that they ask him about it, like there's no character development for him at all. At all. And so when Charlie calls him evil the first time, it's very clear that he's he's saying it like evil Ed, like mm-hmm. to get to get his friend pissed, right? Yeah. But then later in the movie, he calls him evil as if it's his nickname, like yeah. it's a normal thing, and that pisses Ed off too, right? It reminds me of. Eddie Spaghetti. Yeah, Ed's, totally. Right? But he actually genuinely dislikes it. And when he first calls him that, it's to antagonize him. And then later it's used in a friendly tone. No, well, okay. It's confusing. It's because that was a nickname he gave to him, right? So he's Evil Ed and decides he doesn't like that nickname. So he gets pissed. But it's still a name that comes easily to Charlie. He just calls him evil. It's like, I have a friend named Troll. I don't call him troll anymore, right? But when we were young, you know, I, I called him troll all the time. And it comes really, really naturally. Right. And if but he you... decided, he's like, I'm 35 years old. Don't call me troll anymore. <sighs> and I just call him troll. If I wanted to piss him off, I would call him troll to piss him off. But it still comes really naturally to me to call him troll because that was a nickname I had for him for a very long time. That's interesting. Yeah. Real life association. So now we have basically our principal cast of characters. It's Charlie, it's Amy, it's Evil Ed, it's... Peter Vincent. Peter Vincent. Our principal characters, but we've only glanced at the new next-door neighbor, 
and his live-in architect. Live-in carpenter. Carpenter. I guess that would make a lot more sense. If, listen, if you don't understand the concept of live-in carpenter, I guess the best comparison I can make is to Murphy Brown. Uh, (laughs) Who's Murphy Brown? Oh my God! Listen, I was making a Murphy Brown reference as a joke. But for you not to know who who Murphy Brown is? Nope. Oh my god, you're so young. Who's Murphy Brown? It was a sitcom oh. about a news broadcaster. Oh. She's a woman, and it was a very very big deal because Dan Quayle, the nation's vice president, called her out on television because her character was having a a baby out of wedlock. And he's talking about how television characters like Murphy Brown are what's wrong with our <laughs> nation. You know, she's like extremely popular television show. It's like Cheers level popular. I'm I've really surprised you it. don't know. it. Anyway, there was a character who was like her live in carpenter who's like always working on something in her house, always painting, always fixing something. So he was like a regular character there every episode. Well, they make it make sense in this because they're restoring the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a little gay, but that's okay. It is. They, 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 there. There's one part where it is like overtly like, yeah, you know what? I love this guy. Deal with it, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. But in that vein, this vampire character of Jerry Dandridge, played by Chris Sarandon, we'll talk about him in a second. It is the like the classic hypersexualized. Vampire? You would say so until you see the new one. We will definitely get to that. Mm-hmm. No, um, uh, yeah, he he's very sexual. Right. I mean, there there's a scene later on, which we'll talk about uh, in the club. But there, he also has this this living carpenter <laughs> euphemism confirmed bachelor. You know, <laughs> played by Chris Sarandon. Chris Sarandon is probably most famous among all things. Ever as uh, once being married to Susan Sarandon. No, um, as being the voice of Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas. He is the speaking voice of Jack Skellington. Or as Prince Humperdinck. No, I'd say he's more famous. Are you kidding me? Most people don't know who plays Jack's voice. Right, but most people don't know who plays Prince Humperdinck either. (laughs) Okay, if you've never seen The Princess Bride, just get out. Uh, Kelsey, get out of here. Horror can show up in unexpected places like the fire swamp scene and the ROUSs in this 1987 film. That was on the card. It was a question I didn't ask. Ask that. Because it's too easy. (laughs) I didn't didn't think about Chris Sarandon. I didn't think about it. Oh my God. You didn't even put. No, I didn't put together that Princess Bride, him being in it. Like, that is what I know no, him for. Like I know him from that as well. I'm saying on the card right here, I'm like, oh, that's Princess Bride, and it's not a horror movie. I didn't think about the fact that, yeah, Chris Sarandon's in it. Anyway, you might know him as Prince Humperdinck <laughs> from The Princess Bride, or as the speaking voice of Jack Skellington, not the singing voice from Nightmare Before Christmas. But in this, he's Jerry Dandridge, which is a real weird name for a vampire, I they, they, even, they even say that in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, what kind of a name it. is that for a vampire? It's perfect. I love it. He's home, and he's fallen asleep in his chair, and there is a scream that wakes him up, which is bizarre to me, because why is he the only one in the whole neighborhood that heard the scream? They do a good job of explaining that away in the remake. 
So then he is trying to convince Ed that it's real and that there is a vampire right, next door. Right, because he saw him go after her neck and almost bite this woman. And then he heard her scream. And, and then later on he hears her scream, yeah. So so he's like, oh, this, this MFer is a vampire. So... He's in a restaurant and uh, his girlfriend shows up and she apologizes again for walking out on him. Yeah, just the worst. And even he I think it's is supposed confused. To be, I mean, it's supposed to be comical that, you know, she's basically continually throwing herself at him mm-hmm. and he's too distracted by his obsession and his paranoia. It does not come off that way. I Well, that's what I'm saying. In the 80s when it was less of like a... <laughs> Women's rights type of thing. Yeah. No, I mean, it was there was less of a focus on that. You could have a female character like this, and it's just totally natural. Mm-hmm. So. But even he seems confused. He's like, he, she's like, it's all my fault. He goes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like saying, like, I've been miserable the last two days. Like, I miss talking to you and et cetera. And he just gets up and walks over to the TV because it's talking about a murder that took place. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she is upset again and walks out again. She shoves pie in his face. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And that's when Evil says his big line, you're so cool, Brewster. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that's when he says it. Yeah, something like that. But he laughs at him either way in that classic Evil Ed laugh. Yes. <laughs> So then he can't convince Ed that it's real. So he decides to go onto this dude's property, which he's supposed to know so much about vampires. Like, why wouldn't he be more cautious, more afraid? Especially since he knows that the vampire has a manservant. Specifically, we know that that's because he needs someone there to watch over the house during the daytime. Yeah. So he goes over there, and of course the manservant sees him and basically intimidates him away. Hey, kid! What are you doing? Nothing. Oh, yeah? Would just make sure that it stays that way. Kid. And then he falls asleep again, and he's, like, staking out the house next door this time. And there's fantastic music playing. Uh Uh-huh. The guitar is a little much, but the 80s synth... It's so good. Really good soundtrack. It is a good soundtrack. And, you know, we all love 80s synth now. It's super nostalgic. And this is where it came from. And that made me really excited. Like, this is what we all love now. Uh You know, this is the original stuff. And the vampire, like, stares at him and has these long fingernails, just like in the original Uh vampire stuff, Nosferatu. Um, And then, of course, the mom calls out his name. Yeah. And gives it away that he's being staked oh, out. Oh, God, that's so awkward. So this movie spends a lot of time in, in this paranoia phase where it's him just trying to verify that he's actually a vampire. And then once he does verify that, trying to get other people to believe him. That's the bulk of this movie. Mm-hmm. And then that's like the first two acts. And then 
the end of the movie is all about Facing dealing him. with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I remember the first time I saw this really liking the movie, but hating that aspect of it. Why? Uh, like, okay, so I have a real problem with Waja. For those of you that don't know, it's embarrassment by proxy. And so <laughs> when embarrassing things happen to people, I get really uncomfortable. <laughs> It's just a thing I do. <laughs> so, you know, if something's happening on television, I'll get up and walk out of the room and be like, I need to get something from the kitchen, <laughs> you know? It's funny that you say that. <laughs> I only feel that way with, like, sitcoms for some reason. Yeah, sitcoms do it a lot. The Office, Friends, shows like that make me extremely antsy and uncomfortable. But movies... Meet the Parents... Was a big one. I think the I think movies. It's because it's brand new, and I don't know what's going to happen. Uh huh. So I'm just so interested that I it doesn't bother yeah. me. Nope, nope. I had I had a real hard time getting through Meet the Parents the first time I saw it. See that? And, yeah. But I I liked that movie at the time enough to where it was a little bit easier. It was because it was funny enough. But like, this I, is our second Meet the Parents reference in a row, by the way. I think I think it's for me it's only when like I know the characters and I know that this is going to be really uncomfortable because it's I've seen it before yeah, right uh-huh. like The Office and Friends are the first two examples that come to mind The Office has a lot of that and I know these characters and I know what they're setting themselves up for yeah. and that makes me uncomfortable whereas in a film I don't know what's going to happen yet so I'm open to it right well, kind of like I said with Meet the Parents, it was it was funny enough that like I was I kind of got me through it. This this movie is good enough. Like it's clever enough and cool enough that it gets me through it. And I don't really feel that as much as I used to now. But it's moments like those when he's forced to get up and run inside. Yeah. <laughs> as Chris Sarandon does this really cool thing where he's eating an apple and he tosses it towards the bush and then starts like walking towards it to go pick it up. And that's when he runs away because he knows he has to because he's Mm going to be spotted anyway. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting. I hate that he eats regular food. So let's talk about that. It's not the first vampire story to do that, but I don't like it. So (laughs) two things about that. Number one, that was something that apparently, maybe apocryphal, apparently Chris Sarandon thought up on his own. Because this is a thing I get from uh, another podcast called The Weekly Planet. It's an Australian podcast about nerdy stuff. They have a rule where if you eat an apple in a movie, you're an asshole. Eating an apple is the universal signifier for being an asshole. What? Think to any time when somebody needs to do something. Whenever they're talking to somebody and eating an apple, it's because they're being cocky. If they're slicing an apple with a knife, they're villains. Like, there is no good connotation with eating an apple. I have I have several examples in my head. Like what? Like, for example, when you said cutting up an apple, my mind went straight to Sleepless in Seattle, where he... Wow, that's that's a pull if I ever heard one. Well, I listen. It's not a universal rule. It's not a hundred percent, but it's very, very. It's a trope of assholes eating apples. Also, in Pleasantville, when she eats the apple, that's like a plot point. <laughs> I'm just 
saying. There are many examples that I can pick out. Sure, and there are many examples for every trope that are counterexamples. It doesn't mean it's not a trope. Okay. You cannot disprove a trope this way, Kelsey. Okay. Where were we? So he tries to talk to Evil Ed. This is what I was going to get to. He tries to talk to Evil Ed about how to fight a vampire. And, and this is where we establish the vampire lore, which is a few things. They're very strong. They are vulnerable to crosses and holy water and garlic. They have no heartbeat, no pulse. They don't cast a reflection. And you can kill them through a few ways. Stake through the heart, classic. Uh, sunlight, classic from Nosferatu. Decapitation or fire. I bring it up because you're talking about how he eats real food. Well, they don't talk about really at all about how the conversion process works or how they need to suck blood to survive. They don't talk about how the conversion right, process right, right. works, but we see it. Right, right. No, my point is... They take it for granted that these are aspects of vampirism that people know about. But they have to explain how they're vulnerable and how they're superpowered. Right. But like, for instance, they never mention they can turn into a bat, but he does. Right. You know, so there are certain things that they take on faith that the audience knows about vampires and other things that they feel the need to explain to them. Why didn't they explain why he can eat regular food? <laughs> because it's like of all the things I just listed and they don't eat regular food. What? When have you ever heard that about a vampire? You're you're basing you. You are basing everything on interview with a vampire, aren't you? Aren't you? Yes or no, Kelsey? Uh I do love that movie. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Uh, they can eat real food they just don't have to it's a villain signifier god damn it anyway charlie at one point tries to break into the house and he even invites the cops over as an explanation to where this murder victim went you know oh he's here this guy's a vampire he brings the cop and the cop's like wait you think he's a vampire that's what's down there a coffin i saw them carry it in what? Yeah, and you'll find Jerry Dandridge in it, sleeping the sleep of the undead. Ooh. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's a vampire. Uh-oh. I saw him in that room last night, and he had fangs, and he bit her on the neck. For heaven's sake, come on. What are you talking about? Wait. Look, you can't just leave like coffee. this. I got a coffin for you. The live-in carpenter is the only one that's there. And he's really creepy in this scene. He's really good in this scene. Like, he really hams it up, I feel. <laughs> What's his name? His, I want to make sure he gets credit. He plays the character of Billy Cole. Jonathan Stark does a really good job of that. Now, that's important because then that leads the breaking in, the attempted break in, the bringing the cops. It leads to one day, Charlie gets home, and Jerry's already there. Because his mother invited him invited in. Invited him in. That's the last thing I didn't mention that Evil Ed tells him is that you have to invite a vampire in. And he makes the point about how now that I've been invited over, I think I'll stop by whenever I want. Mm -hmm. With your mother's permission, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the matter, Charlie? 
afraid I'd never come over without being invited first. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're quite right. Of course, uh, now that I've been made welcome, I'll probably drop by quite a bit. In fact, any time I feel like it. With your mother's kind permission, of course. Oh, Jerry, any time. <laughs> so good, because he knows that Charlie knows at this point. And that's the part that I really love. When no one else knows what's going on, but Charlie and Jerry both know about each other. And so they're just totally, like, straightforward intimidating them. So then he he comes in in the middle of the night and he basically locks the mother in her room. Yeah. This is the point where we see that he has no reflection in the mirror. Yes. And I noticed it before Chris said anything, but I can see why it would be difficult to notice. You have I to had to back attention. up. I missed it because I was like, wait a minute. Because I knew there was a scene where he doesn't get seen in the mirror. And Tom Holland says that, that the set designers and the director of photography, they set it all up to make sure this would work. They spent a lot of time to make that effect work. And he said he screwed it up. He didn't frame it right. It is framed awkwardly because the mirror, first of all, it's a long shot. It's far away. Uh-huh. And it's then dark. It's dark. And the mirror is on the full left side of the shot. So if you're not looking at it, you totally miss it. Yeah. I caught it just because I happened to see that, you know, he's opening the door. Oh, there's a mirror. Oh, he's not in the mirror. Like, I just happened Uh to catch it. But I can see why a lot of people would miss it. I I don't think I saw it the first time. Anyway, he's there to intimidate Charlie and say, back the fuck off. Listen, I'll forget about you, but you have to forget about me. Yes. And this is the first time we see his real face as a vampire. Well, he has several phases, right? True. He he changes a lot. And this is this is one of the first facial changes that we get to see. Mm-hmm. And he becomes like a bat looking face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, why does he leave his his mom? The mom is knocking on the door trying to get out. Well, because he, he basically tells him this is your last chance. Leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. Yeah, so he leaves because the mother is is woken up, and if he doesn't want to be discovered, which is the whole point of intimidating Charlie mm-hmm. and not killing him, right. so he doesn't get discovered, mm-hmm. he ends up leaving. So this is when Charlie goes to see Peter Vincent, and he catches him outside the studio when the show's been canceled. Yes. And he says specifically that it's been canceled... Because all, quote, all they want are demented madmen running around in ski masks, hacking up young virgins. I have just been fired because nobody wants to see vampire killers anymore or vampires either. Apparently all they want are demented madmen running around in ski masks, hacking up young virgins. So he's talking about slashers, for sure. And semi-specifically Friday the 13th. Or Halloween. Right, but it's a ski mask slash hockey mask. Like, that's... It's without calling them directly out, that's kind of what what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But he's been let go from his cable access uh, hosting <laughs> gig, and he says no. He calls Charlie crazy basically when when Charlie reveals what he wants. Well, because he said he says I believe in vampires, and Charlie believes him. Uh huh. And then when he finds out that oh no, Charlie's being dead serious. 
he, he's like, wait, you just said you believe in vampires. And he goes, I lied. <laughs> so then um, Charlie goes back to his house where Amy and Ed show up and they're like, dude, what is going on with you? They they see him in his room. It's all fortified. There's garlic everywhere. There's crosses. And they're like, you are nuts. Mm-hmm. So they contact Peter Vincent themselves. Yes. And they say, listen, all you need to do is just show up with some fake shit and just do like a vampire test and just prove to Charlie that he's not a vampire and everything will be fine. We'll give you money. And he's like, I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, a $500 savings bond. He's just like, I'll Yo, fucking no, take it. No, no, he is it. desperate. He's an asshole. No, he is a totally pathetic character. Yes. And that's like, it's such a great character. And <laughs> He's it's the so hero funny. that ends up being pathetic. Actually, it's, it's another trope. And it's really cute because Evil Ed is a huge fan. Yeah. And so when he's like, how am I supposed to prove that this guy isn't a vampire? And he's like, you know, just like you did in... Orgy of the Damned. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got it all figured out. We all go next door to the neighbor and uh, you perform some kind of vampire test on him to pronounce him human. You know, like an orgy of the damned where uh, you looked in the mirror, the guy didn't have a reflection and uh, then you knew he was a vampire. Orgy of the damned. <laughs> and so he's gonna have like a mirror and supposedly he's going to put holy water and a cross. But when they call Sarandon, because they, they don't think he's a real vampire and they want to yeah, be polite, uh-huh. he says, I can't have any uh, crosses crosses in the house because I just switched religions. Yeah, he's, he's uh, born again. I can't have any holy water in the house for the same reason. And so he says, oh, don't worry. I'll just say it's holy water. It'll yeah, just be regular it water. be holy water. Yeah. But he doesn't say anything about the mirror. No. And so they go over to the house and he passes all the quote unquote tests, which aren't actually real. And Charlie gets pissed. Right. And they're like, come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. And Peter Vincent is like he's getting a cigarette or something out of his case. And he pulls. No, he just takes out his mirror. mirror. Yeah. And he looks at it and he realizes (gasps) and he drops it because Dude doesn't have a reflection. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. So they get out of there, and Peter Vincent's like, I'm booking it. I'm out of here. I'm gone. And he's like, wait a minute. You said he wasn't a vampire. And he's like, well, you know what? He is, and I'm out of here. Yeah, basically. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Nothing. And why are you shaking? I, I'm not shaking. You saw something in there, didn't you? You saw something that convinced you he was a vampire. Of course not. Please, Mr. Vincent, you have to tell me. Our lives depend on that. All right. He didn't cast a reflection in my mirror. Satisfied now? Mr. Vincent, you have to call the police. Mr. Vincent, shit! And then Ed, like, wants to leave, and Charlie, Charlie says, no, we're walking Amy home. We walk Amy home first. Yeah. Which uh-huh. was cute. And so on the way home, Ed gets just pissed off about how paranoid Charlie's being. He's like, you know what? I'm going home from here. I'm going to walk down this spooky alleyway, and I'll be fine, mm-hmm. you putts. And so he does. And they walk off. But nope. Jerry's there to bite Ed. And when he screams... They run after him and he's gone. No, the first time he screams, they come uh-huh. and he's playing a prank. Oh, right. Kill me, Charlie, before I turn into a vampire and give you a hickey. 
You asshole! <laughs> you really believe me, you poor dope? You're gonna get you someday. Oh, yeah, when? When I'm bit by a vampire? There are no such things as vampires, fruitcake! So the second time, That's Amy says, are you really going to let him sucker you again? Yeah. But the way that he convinces Ed to be on his side is they won't pick on you anymore and they won't ever beat you up again. I'll make sure of it. Yeah. So I guess he was picked on and made fun of. Good to know. Well, he's the weirdo kid. I know, know yeah. but they have not given yeah. us any reason to understand mm-hmm. that. Like, can we buy into it? Sure. But they gave us no indication that that was what his whole thing was. That same night is also when Dandridge meets Amy for the first time. Yes. And what's important about that? She looks just like one of his old... Loves. I guess. Yeah, so... They don't um, really explain it. Well, Charlie's looking around and he, he tears open what's a painting wrapped in paper and he tears it open. He's like, Amy? You know, and so then, he recognizes even that this woman looks like Amy. Mm-hmm. And then later on, Jerry tells us about it. Mm-hmm. So that's like motivation. And now he wants Amy. So then he comes after them and they wind up in a club. Yeah. And he uses his hypnotic vampire powers. Another thing they don't call out specifically mm-hmm. to fuck with Amy. And it's a really hot dance scene. Okay, except I, that they are wearing the ugliest clothes. Oh, his sweater is really like bad thick piping around the really broad neck like it's it's really it's bad. Pretty bad but i wrote here is it bad that i think all the sexy stuff with jerry and amy is really hot inside close quarters nights calling under blood red sky this madness starts burning the victim of a strange desire Like, it is really hot. Okay, so I think I said this last week on our last episode. Um, All I remember is the hot dance scene from the new Fright Night with Colin Farrell. I got them confused. I put Colin Farrell's body and face. In this scene in place of Chris Sarandon. Yes. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Because I'm watching him like damn, this is really hot, but they are both so unattractive. Like, the clothes that they're wearing and their hair, it ain't good. It ain't good. No, it's really, it's, but it's really sexy. It's a really sexy scene. Now, if they had done that in the new one with Mr. Colin Farrell. Yeah, the new one gets fucking none of that. Yeah. It's so unsexy. We'll get there. We'll get there. In any case, he absconds with Amy because they're in a crowded club. He attacks some people and everyone freaks out and he manages to grab Amy in the process and take her away. And Charlie's like, fuck, I got to save Amy now. Mm-hmm. And he enlists the help of Peter Vincent to do so, who's also, you know, very reluctant. Before. So then we get Ed. Showing up and coming after Peter Vincent. Yeah. And he, he burns him with a cross on his forehead. Mm-hmm. And that's how he's like, this is this is all very, very real. 
and he turns into a wolf. And that's then, later. Oh, yeah. That's the first scene Ed shows up at Peter Vincent's house. Mm-hmm. In the next one, it's it's at Charlie's house, which is empty because he goes to Charlie's house to check on Charlie's mom. But she started nights working nights, which they mentioned earlier. And the only person there is Ed. That's and Ed right. attacks him. And that's when Ed turns into a wolf creature, which transmutation is a feature of vampires, if you didn't know. Specifically into bats is not necessarily the case. They can transmutate into anything. They can change into a bat, into a wolf, into mist. If you've played Castlevania Symphony of the Night, all three. <laughs> uh, so in this case, Ed changes into a wolf. And when he lunges at Peter Vincent, he gets stabbed through the gut with the broken leg of a table, which Peter fell on. And it is so sad. And there's like this puppet on the ground of a wolf, like writhing with this post through it. Oh my God. It is so disturbing. It is really disturbing because he slowly turns Uh back into Ed. And it's very, it's very American werewolf in London. Like in reverse, of yeah. him changing back into a human, you see the that the foot change, and they do all the stuff that you see in American Werewolf, but like in reverse. And it's creepy. The phases that they show of his face, of his body, they're pretty creepy. Yeah. Here's my problem with this: is is they never find Evil Ed's body, and there's like the laughter at the end. He laughs at the end of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. The idea is is that he was going to like come back. But here's my problem with that. There is a sequel. There is a sequel, which we haven't seen. Nope. I don't think he's in. Oh. <laughs> he might be, but I don't think he is. The problem is, is that we haven't gotten to this point yet, but Amy's been converted into a vampire. Mm-hmm. And Peter tells Charlie, you have to kill him tonight. Because if the sun comes up and you haven't killed him, she's going to be a vampire forever. But if you can kill him before the sun's all the way up, she'll revert back. Well, Evil Ed was captured the same night and turned the same night. He would also be turned back into a human if he survived. Yeah, but at this point, Ed's made it pretty clear he's he's happy to be a vampire. Right, but he doesn't get to make that decision. <laughs> true, true. I mean, what else was his choice was to die, but he... No, I mean to say he doesn't get to make the choice whether or not he turns back into a human. Right, but he was definitely enjoying... He was a thrall to- character... Totally. Yeah. So meanwhile, back at the house, Peter Vincent and and Charlie are are at Jerry's house and they face off against Liv in Carpenter (laughs) and they shoot him in the head. And that's when Jerry comes out and Jerry's like, ha ha ha. Yeah. Deal with him. They're like, what are you talking about? He's dead. And he like pops up again. And then they kill him. This is the thing. Charlie kills Billy, the living carpenter, with a wooden stake through the heart, and he turns into this goo, right? He just melts. It's really cool. There's a story of him not having enough time, like the the plumbing is being worked on on the set, so he doesn't get to take a shower before he has to head home, and he has to stop and get gas or whatever, so the gas station attendant's really freaked out when they see him with all that makeup on. (laughs) But what is he? Yeah, they don't Is explain. he a zombie? He dies from a stake to the heart, but we know he's not a vampire because he's the guy that's out during the daytime. So he's kind of like this weird zombie thing. Yeah, he's they a don't thrall, explain. Right? But they don't explain like exactly what powers he has or what he is. In any case, 
they end up fighting with Jerry. They break the big stained glass window. He turns into a bat, like, but only kind of half transformed. An enormous bat. Yeah, because he's only kind of half transformed. And, and, and they fight. Oh, man, we didn't talk at all about how Amy changes. He locks Charlie in the room with, with Amy as she's about to change. Charlie's supposed to be her first kill. Yeah. And it's really kind of a tragic moment, but he manages to get out. And they hurt him so bad that he has to run and sleep, especially since the sun's coming up now, right? Mm-hmm. And so he goes downstairs and they all run down, smash windows down in the basement until they get Jerry and he burns up. And that means Amy's better, but she gets to do that cool like jaw thing that's on the cover of the of the movie. Yes. Apparently, the guy who did the makeup for it was like... I, we have no resources. We have no money. Like, I can just make something real quick, but you have to promise me you're not going to like, it's going to be like seconds, right? No, it spends like minutes on screen. I think it looks great. And then it's on the poster and it's on the cover of the VHS. I was just wondering if it was a body double because it didn't, it doesn't look like no, her. No, it's, it's a prosthetic. It's pretty awesome to yeah. be perfectly honest. Uh-huh. Like basically nowadays, if we were to do it, and in fact, I think they do in the new one, it would be all special effects. It would all be... CG. Yeah. But this looked more real. Like, you know, if it were CG, we would watch the mouth come apart. It would be very Blade Trinity. Yeah. As opposed (laughs) to this where just... Ah, she turns around and it's ah. Yeah, Yeah, and it's uh it's great. I think it's really Mm -hmm. cool. But she manages to change back. And that's kind of the movie, right? And then at the very end, Ed laughs and says, you're so cool, Brewster. And it's like, wait... Was he supposed to have survived? What happened? Yeah, it's very unclear. It's just supposed to be kind of a like a, oh, the end question mark. But if he had survived, he would be human. And then there's an amazing song made just for this movie about Fright Night. Fright Night. Yes. Yeah, no, it's really good. I know last week I did the fake, like I played a song from the actual movie as our outro song. Normally, it's Pet Cemetery. It's the rest of Pet Cemetery by the Ramones. I'm going to do it again this week. We've got to play Fright Night at the it's end of great. this. It's great. Really, really cool. But Peter Vincent's back on TV. He's hosting the show again. They never explain how he gets his job back. It's just associated with him getting his confidence back and not being such a wuss. Yeah. And he concedes the fact that he's not the greatest actor in the world. He's going to play a movie that has aliens in it, not vampires. We're going to take a rest from vampires. Isn't that right, Charlie? <laughs> Wink. And then it's an alien movie and he doesn't star in it. You know, mm-hmm. So you, that's like the, the signification that his character has grown. Meanwhile, Amy and Charlie are back together and they're making out and that's when we get credits. Mm -hmm. So, Kelsey, lightning round. Okay, there are a lot of lines that I didn't go over. So Uh that's pretty much going to be my uh, a lot of my lightning round stuff. I don't have anything else, by the way. So this is all you. Amy has some great lines in the very first scene when he's looking out and he's looking at the coffin. He goes... Come here, I'm serious. And she goes, so am I. Do you want to make love or not? And his mom's right there. No, she's downstairs. Yeah, no, but it happens later on when she was like, I was, we were going to make love. And then you started. And then she's like, are you guys fighting? (laughs) They turn around and she's like right there. Oh, that's, that's the the next line that Uh I have. Uh, First you want to make love and then you don't. And then it's like, hi, mom. (laughs) I don't understand you. 
First you want to make love, and then you don't. Amy? Charlie? What's wrong? Um, uh, nothing, Mom. That was awkward. It's a great awkward line. She's a fun mom, though. It's okay. She's totally into Jerry, by the way. <laughs> yes. She, she loves him. Amy shows up at his house at one point, and she's like, what is all this? Because he's trying to tell her, like, there's a fucking vampire next door. Yeah. And she's like, is this some sort of trick to get me back? <laughs> yeah, no, she's pathetic. She's real. A, she's really pathetic. B, what the fuck would a vampire trick have anything to do with getting you back? As like to, I don't know, intrigue her, make him seem troubled so she can come and. No, it's an awful relationship. I can only hope it's better now, but they give us no indication that it would be. I guess, you know, shared trauma. If you've ever seen Speed, you never start a relationship after shared trauma. I've heard relationships based on intense. Experiences never work. Okay. We'll have to base it on sex then. Whatever you say, ma'am. <laughs> so the scene with the cop is really fucking dumb. Again, I should have mentioned this earlier. I forgot. Like the idea that there would be anything to find. They know you heard the scream. Right. Yeah. Like they're obviously going to clean everything up. When he shows up at Evil Ed's place to ask him, Ed goes, To what do I owe this dubious pleasure? Yeah. Evil! 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 And to what do I owe this dubious pleasure? The vampire knows I know about him. Or at least he will when he wakes up tonight. <laughs> and then, don't call me evil anymore. <laughs> Poor Eds. Eds are always made yeah. fun of. Eddie Spaghetti, evil Ed. Mm-hmm. When the mom finally gets out of her bedroom and he's like, you know, I was just having a nightmare, just go to bed. She's like, do you want a Valium? Yeah, no, it's so fun. <laughs> she seems like a real chill mom. <laughs> <laughs> when they come and talk to Charlie, Ed says to Amy, what are you doing here? Because she was supposed to have broken up with him. And she goes... What I'm doing here is none of your business. It's like, Jesus Christ, does nobody like Ed? No, yeah, but she's also super melodramatic. <laughs> True. And then she's trying to talk Charlie out of going over there. She's like, what are you going to do? Go murder him? And he says, you can't murder a vampire, Amy. They're dead, remember? <laughs> it's so great. You fucking stupid. <laughs> also, Ed is trying to say, like, this is dumb. Like, don't believe it. And he goes, what is he going to do? Kill everybody in the neighborhood? And then as he's looking out the window, he'd say, not that it would be much of a loss. <laughs> and when they first come into Dandridge's house to to show that he's not really a vampire, <laughs> Sarandon goes, very amusing. <laughs> and, or I think he's describing... The test. And he's like, oh, that's very amusing. No, I think he's describing the movies that what's-his-name is oh, in. Yeah, he's okay. like, oh, those are very amusing to me. Uh-huh. Mr. Vincent... I've seen all of your films, and I found them very amusing. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and then As Amy, and then Amy says, "God, he's neat." Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what vampires are supposed to do, Charlie? <laughs> Please. That's a vampire, Brewster. God, he's neat. I'm telling you, '80s Chris Sarandon, a dreamboat. Okay, Kelsey. What do you think 1985's Fright Night got on Rotten Tomatoes? 88. 91. Wow. Overrated, underrated. Mm, 
I'd say a little over. Yeah, 91 seems a little high. This is an 85 to me, I think. Yeah, I'd go around 85. Fright Night deftly combines thrills and humor in this ghostly tale about a man living next to a vampire. Yeah, no, I really like it, but it definitely suffers from age. Yeah, a lot of, like, stuff we'd like to see more of that you don't get to see, like, a little bit more about Ed and his background. Yeah, the story is not well-rounded. Yeah, but it's it's really fun. Definitely good, and everyone should see this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so 85. Before we move on to 2011's Fright Night, parentheses 3D, <laughs> Kelsey... Hit mm-hmm. me with a slash card. Joseph Pichara composed the score for The Conjuring 2013. Okay. But he also played what character in the film? Well, there were only so... Oh, no, he played the witch. He played the witch. Do you know her name? Is it Broomhilda? No. Something like that? Bathsheba. Bathsheba, yeah. <laughs> I did know that. I was like, how am I supposed to wait? I know this one. <laughs> Yes, the composer played the the main villain in The Conjuring, Mm -hmm. a movie where nobody dies in the main in the main story. Yeah, mm -hmm. obviously in the past, lots of people. Yeah, lots of people died. Yeah, but you know, all those people would have died anyway. So I was gonna say you should definitely know this. I'm pretty sure you said it on that episode. (laughs) All right, Kelsey. Yeah, D. Wallace played Donna Trenton in what 1983 film adaptation? Of a Stephen King novel. Cujo. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Good job. I will She's always the mom pick from a Cujo King. and the mom from E.T. Yeah. I will always pick a Stephen King question. <laughs> I had Stephen King questions. What was your not. Stephen King question? Uh, let's Just see. Just curious. The 1985 film Silver Bullet was adapted from what Stephen King novella? Silver Bullet? <laughs> what is it? Cycle of the Werewolf. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Not one of his big ones. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Moving on in 2011, Fright Night was remade. Mm-hmm. Starring Colin Farrell and Anton Yelchin. Oh. And I know. And Tony Collette and David Tennant and Imogen Poots and Christopher Mintz Plass and Dave Franco. And everyone was in this fucking movie. It was a crazy cast. Yeah. What is it about, Kelsey? <laughs> it really is practically the exact same thing. Yeah, uh, I'd say they th- just they they changed a few things, they added some things, but it's basically the same movie. All the major plot points are hit. Mm-hmm. But they changed the context to a lot of it, right? Yeah. I'd say the the biggest difference before we actually get into the real content of the movie, and I actually wrote this down, is that the movie is just generally louder. I'd say is a good way to describe the difference between this and the original. And I'll get into more detail as to what I mean by that when we actually talk about the movie. But first, you got to watch it or don't. Kelsey, is this a must watch? Before we tell people to go watch it, should they pay money to watch this movie? It's like $17 to buy. There are things about it that I think are definitely worthwhile seeing. Mm -hmm. Overall, grand scheme of things. If you can rent it. Is it a rental? Yeah. Okay. If it's on TV, totally watch it. Yeah. It's, it's, It's a good time. It's fun. It's just not great. We'll talk in more detail about that in just a moment. But first, we're gonna... Get a little sample of the trailer, and then when we come back, we'll talk about 2011's Fright 
night. That guy, your neighbor? Jerry. I think he's a vampire. He's not brooding or lovesick. He's actually quite modern. Welcome to Fright Night. Yeah, you bet she's screaming. He's the shark from Jaws. Just hit him! Hit him! That looked like it hurt. Fright Night. You can't get in without an invitation. Don't need an invitation if there's no house. August 19, rated R. Kelsey, mm-hmm. what happens in the Fright Night remake? So we open up on a suburb of Vegas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a great premise. Like a great setting is what I meant to say. It's a great setting because it's a perfect place for a vampire. A lot of people work at night yeah, and in they, Vegas. Yeah, they make that point a few times in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's totally okay for him to blacked out windows because lots of people do because uh-huh. they work on the strip at night. Right. So that was, I liked that. It's pretty neat, yeah. Yeah. Um, we open up on a TV, but this time there's no horror movie on. The news is on, and it informs us that a woman narrowly escaped being bitten by a man in a parking, parking lot. lot. Something like that, yeah. Yes. And then we see this boy. Um, both of his parents have been murdered. And he's trying to get away, and he gets the, the gun from under his dad's bed, and he gets the, the key out of his pocket, but he's not fast enough, and he gets taken down by the yeah. vampire. I even wrote down, wow, he's a really brave kid. And then we end up finding out why. So he was a friend of our main character at one point. Yeah, I think they don't outright say it. Say what? That it's the kid. Yeah, they do. It's the third guy. Yeah, they do. No, they have no way of saying it. How would they say it? Oh, you know that first scene that you watched, audience? Well, no, then it cuts to him in school, and that kid's not there, and you find out that he was the friend uh, of the other two. And yeah, but you also know that there have been lots of kids missing over the time period. and But, but yeah, we also that's saw, the implication. We saw his face, and then we saw him playing around with them on the with, video with a mask on right i guess <laughs> you're probably right i'm telling you you're probably right i'm just saying you have to infer that because i don't think the movie does a very good job of you know they could have dropped a few more hints about like ways we would know that this kid is our guy we see tony collette is the mother which is exciting yes when was the last time we saw tony collette <laughs> the sixth sets yes and they have this new neighbor that's just moved in, and we meet some of the other neighbors. We meet the stripper neighbor that he thinks is hot. Yeah. Hey, kid. Don't leer at the neighbors. Hey. She's the one that put the word on her foot. I'm just reading it. We see that his mom is a real estate agent. She's a real estate agent, and so she's got she's already got the stakes. Yeah. Put out oh no! It's totally obvious. Yeah. They're like broadcasting that. Yes. This is gonna. It's it's Chekhov's for sale sign. <laughs> and they tell us right off the bat that she's totally not like the mom from the original. No. Well, first of all, she's the curious one. Yeah, she's spying on the neighbor. Yeah. And you can just tell that she is way more with it than the other mom was. Yeah. So we, the first way more time, aware. the first time they actually meet Jerry, he's really charming, but she is like, are you kidding me? 
he's a player. I can spot him a mile away. <sighs> Don't get with, tells Imogen Poots, like, you know, watch out for guys like that. <laughs> and then we see, and then we see, what's his name? Christopher Mintz-Plus? Dave Franco. Oh, Dave Franco. Who's barely in it. Like this, yeah. this, this clearly must have been one of his first movies. It's like they were trying to add on content. Yeah. So they needed somebody. <laughs> so the dynamic with the friendship with Ed now is that Charlie and Ed were friends and they were nerds. And then Charlie decided he wanted to be popular. So he started to hang out with Dave Franco and the other guy. And he asked out. Amy, who's Imogen Poots, and she's popular too, mm-hmm. and and so he kind of left Ed behind. Mm-hmm. Um, it explains it completely. You, yeah, you full on know their story just based right. on that. But they needed somebody to be the new cool friend. <laughs> they also needed like multiple victims that could come back as vampires. Yes, and so other than those two roles that he plays, like you just you never really see him. You know, like he's kind of unimportant. He doesn't have a lot to say. He, he only has he makes like fun of, four uh, lines the entire movie. He makes fun of McLovin. Yeah. And almost Christopher Mintzplass. I'm sorry. His name is McLovin. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him McLovin from here on out. Good. Okay. We also get a commercial for Fright Night, which this is a big difference here. Very different. In the original, Fright Night is a horror movie like midnight show on television where you know we watch horror movies and it's hosted by an old horror icon named peter vincent vampire hunter right instead we have doctor who david tennant playing peter vincent mind freak he's a magician (laughs) he's chris angel it's exactly who he's supposed to be who puts on a a show he's like a rock and roll magician whose show is all about vampires and like gothic stuff it's it ends up being at first it looks really fucking dumb it ends up being a great part of the movie yeah he's awesome yeah and he's a lot of fun to watch and he's funny and it's really fascinating because when you get to know him as a character, he's basically nothing like the original Peter Vincent because the original Peter Vincent is a hack, a coward, whatever. This guy, on the other hand, he's really, an asshole. He's but really he's like, studied but he's about competent. vampires. He's like hyper competent. He knows what he's talking he's about. He's collected artifacts. But he's why? read books. We find out because his parents were killed by a vampire yeah, when he was which a kid. Also made me think. Wait. Was he the one in the intro and he survived that? I know you're right. I know you're right. But like that made me second guess because they didn't do a good enough job of telling us what that intro scene was. But in any case, Peter Vincent is a jerk ass Chris Angel type. And when it comes to him, Anton Yelchin, Charlie, R.I.P. Anton Yelchin, he, he pretends he does, you know, he does a pretty good job of sneaking into the venue pretending he's press. And he's going to do an interview, and he lets it slip that he actually believes this stuff and gets kicked out. Yeah, because we find out later that even, that David Tennant believes in vampires, but he doesn't want to. Right. He hopes they're not real. Right. And so when Charlie tells him that he really believes in them, he's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you're crazy. And then, of course, finds out later. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's another big difference, Kelsey? It has to do with Evil Ed. You like Ed. 
That's different. Ed is the paranoid one trying to convince Charlie oh. instead of the other way around. True. So he and his friend, who's now dead, they were following him. They were videotaping him. And you find out that you can't see them even on videotape. Right. Instead of the mirror, it's videotape. Yeah. Which is what causes Charlie to end up believing in it. But unfortunately, it's too late. This is yeah. after McLovin has been changed. Yeah. And this time he was really trying to fight him off. Instead, in the original, it feels a little too easy to get Ed on his side. Yeah. Whereas here, it's basically either come with me or die. Right. And he's and he goes after Charlie because he's pissed. <laughs> Charlie didn't believe him and Charlie let him get turned. And it's actually the part when he when McLovin gets turned. That I was like, oh, this is why I didn't like this movie. Because up, you until, like McLovin. up yeah. until that point, it was actually like, this is interesting. This right. is fresh and different. I'm excited. And you end up really liking Ed. And it, But it's also the, the point that I noticed that things are going really fast. We're getting close to like the reveal, <laughs> you know? And that that's one of the things I, I mentioned here is one of the big difference is everything like they skip past the paranoia part of the movie real quick it's all in ed's storyline and almost immediately after charlie finds out he's right like he gets immediate confirmation he knows this guy's a vampire so it's not paranoia mm -hmm. and then you think oh now we're in for the mind games between him and jerry mm -hmm. and there's one scene which is kind of a neat scene when jerry's like hey, can I get a six-pack of beer? I'll get you a six-pack and, and I'll replace the one you give me. And Charlie tests out, like, can he come inside without being invited? Mm -hmm. It's kind of a really neat moment. And he ends up breaking a bottle and Colin Farrell, as Jerry, is like, do you need my help? <laughs> <laughs> like, he gets really eager. I gotta say, I really like Colin Farrell in this role. Oh, shit. Can I help you with that? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, he commits... I like role. him when he's human. Yeah, sure. When he's playing up the vampire bit, it's a little much. Yeah, I can see that. Specifically, like, he hisses at things a lot. <laughs> yeah. And he, he does that thing at the, at he, the like, sun. Like, bites at beams. the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it looks silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I admire his, his like, he's totally committed <laughs> to this role. and I And I really, really like that about him. But then it goes right from, you know, you get paranoia with McLovin instead of Charlie. Charlie finds out, immediately gets confirmation. There's one scene of mind games between the two of them. And then big reveal everyone knows. Well, first the mom and the girlfriend do not believe him. Oh, and they have the whole girlfriend wants to have sex scene. That's yes, in there except too. this time she just wants to have sex with him. It's not like... I'm going to give my body to you. I'm not really ready, but this is what I'm supposed to do, right? <laughs> it's more like Amy's like, no, I want to fuck you. <laughs> so let's do this. And, you know, like it, she's a lot more confident and he's distracted. And he's like, no, I really, I really do. But there's something real weird going on. <laughs> it's a little bit more, I wouldn't say believable, but it's, it's, she's a lot more confident and competent mm -hmm. than the Amy we get. In, in the original. Mm -hmm. So there are there are some moments that I think this movie does better than the original. Mm -hmm. But like you say, after 
after that turn and everything really ramps up after McLovin dies, it's not quite like it goes kind of off the rails. It it's too long. It goes on for way too long. Yeah, you said that while we were watching it, and I that's when I said my theory that I think it's because they changed the pacing. They changed the pacing, yeah. The reveal happens much earlier, and while there's the one battle at the end, and then we get the side battle with Evil Ed in the other house, that's like the whole climax of the movie. No, this is like halfway through the movie is when the battle starts. Right, so the mom and the, the girlfriend don't believe him, but then it's really great. So Jerry comes over, and he's like... Oh, we didn't say when Jerry came over or when Charlie came over. The reason Jerry comes over is because Charlie broke into his house and he breaks into his house because the stripper girl that he knows. Right. Gets bitten and he wants to find out what happened to her and he finds her. Mm -hmm. He watches her get bitten and Mm -hmm. she does the whole like finger to the mouth. Don't say anything. That was great. I liked that part about it. They made her a character you kind of like, and like immediately you kind of like her, right? And so it's a really tense moment of him trying to break her out of Jerry's house while he's there. Yeah, it's super tense. And then you find out that he knew the whole time, and then you feel stupid Uh because you were on the edge of your seat. And he just watches Charlie run out with the girl, and as soon as she hits sunlight, ashes and smoke. Yes. And he's like, (laughs) you know, so this is when... Jerry goes over and he's like, ah, your son broke into my house. Let me in. And Charlie says, whatever you do, don't let him in. You know, ah, he broke into my house and broke some and and broke a locker or something like that. And she's like, did you really do that? And he's like, mom, do not invite him inside. And she says, yeah, trust me. And she's like, all right, get the authorities then. Jane, I need to talk to you. Uh, just, just hold on. Now your son is harassing me. Charlie, what is going on? Cindy, whatever he says, he's going to try to... Jane, he broke into my house. Is that true? Look, I'd rather not take this to the authorities, but I will. I have no choice. He's sick. He's deluded. Please. Go get the authorities. It's one of those few moments where it's like, yeah! Like... (laughs) If I ever had a kid, I'd trust my kid over a fucking neighbor. Right. <laughs> and we get no resolution to this this trust issue between the mom and Charlie because fucking immediately Jerry blows up the house <laughs> <laughs> by pulling out the gas line and lighting a match uh, or lighting his lighter, sending a fireball into the house and blowing it up. And his logic is, I don't have to be invited if there's no house. Right. And this is the part where it starts to drag. Then we've got this car chase scene, which could totally be taken mm-hmm. out. It's we get the for sale sign through the back. Oh, this is where Chris Sarandon shows up and has his cameo mm-hmm. as a guy who's really upset that they that they crashed into his car. They stopped in the middle of the highway and dude comes out and just kills him. <laughs> so he gets a nice little cameo as a victim. What the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, no! Stand the car! Oh, stop in the middle of the road. You got a tail light out. I can't wait. Then they end up driving away. And Taking Tony Collette goes to the, to the hospital. Yeah. And then we basically don't see her till the end. Well, uh, he gets a call from Peter Vincent and is like, all right, fine, I'll do it. Because he sees one of the papers that, that Charlie brought him as evidence. And it matches something that he has in his safe. Mm-hmm. And he's like, 
oh shit, no, this is the real deal. I can't deny Charlie's not crazy. This is real. He's not going to come with him at first. He just wants to warn him. Like, yeah. he, this is a this is the worst kind. They're what they call snackers. They keep pe- they keep people alive for days to yeah. snack off of them. And then also they build up an army. Yeah. And so he's basically like, you need to get the fuck out because there ain't no way you're going to survive this guy. Right. This is around the time when Amy gets abducted. And- How do they get to the club again? Is it because they show up? No, they show up at Peter Vincent's place when they're there. Oh, uh, that's McLovin right. shows up. And and so there's this whole big fight, and so does Jerry. And as they're trying to escape, while Peter Vincent's in his panic room. <laughs> I love that he has a panic room. I love that he's like, just in case. <laughs> yeah. And fucking uh, McLovin is like, oh, you're real cool. You know, in, in your panic room. <laughs> big rocker, vampire killer Peter Vincent. Hey, you enjoyed your panic room, master of darkness? He does actually get the line, oh, you're so cool, Brewster. When they break into their friend's house to see where he is, see see what happened to him. Charlie accuses him of watching too much Twilight and he gets offended. (laughs) He's like, oh, you're so cool, Brewster. I can't believe you actually think I'd watch that shit. (laughs) It's pretty great. You read way too much Twilight. That's fiction, okay? This is real. He's a real monster and he's not brooding or lovesick or noble. He's the fucking shark from Jaws. He kills, he feeds, and he doesn't stop until everybody around him is dead. And I seriously am so angry you think I read Twilight. Wow. Really? Can we just pretend for one minute that you're not a complete douchebag? Evil. This was fun when we were eight. Try 16. Whatever, man. Point is, I grew up. If you don't want to, that's fine. But don't get an attitude because I'd rather have a life than make shit up. I get it. You're so cool, Bruce. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. You love Ed. Okay admittedly he's a little bit of a douchebag because he's like i'm gonna post this video of you viral if you don't come yeah but it's because lives are on the line yeah you know it's charlie kind of is being justified. kind of a dick to him yeah charlie's yeah. being a total dick and you really fucking like him and it pissed me off that they made me like a character just to fucking turn him into a vampire just to die yeah yeah it was it's it's a little bit of a bummer um so McLovin needs to be in more movies. He does. He really does. He was in Kick-Ass and Kick-Ass 2. He was great. Uh-huh. Was, I never saw Kick-Ass 2, but in Kick-Ass, he was awesome. Uh-huh. So they they make their way out through the club underneath Peter Vincent's penthouse. Wasted opportunity. So wasted. He just bites her and then they leave. Yeah, he like does a hypnotism thing and then bites her and they do the whole, you know, the the... The bouncer is like, looks like she's enjoying it to me, you know, and and that's kind of just it. He takes her and they there's leave. no sexy dance. Mm-hmm. It's very upsetting because they have Colin Farrell. They just <laughs> wasted their chance for a very sexy dance. And Anton Yelchin has a has a really like it's good from his perspective, right? Like they're carrying him away and he is freaking out because basically his his girlfriend is is basically dying. Mm-hmm. Right in front of him. He, she's being murdered and he can't get to her because of these bouncers. Yeah. And so, like, it's really, he does a really good job. Anton Yelkin was awesome. Yeah. So unfair. Yeah. Sucks. He was working on his car and it fell on him. Or it pinched no. in between the car and his wall or something his like that. mailbox and, or something. Yeah. So, it, like, crushed him. That sucks. It sucks a lot. Anyway, it 
kind of ends the same. So he ends up going to the guy's house totally ready. He's got all this stuff. And uh, then Peter Vincent shows up and he's like, I'm drunk enough. Let's do this. And then basically the same type of stuff happens. He gets left alone in the room with Amy. He stakes her. And she's like, you missed. And he's like, I know. And then he shuts the door to make sure that she's safe. And then he goes after the other guy and he blows out the ceiling to let in the sunlight, which is great. Oh, yeah. Though There's a great moment where Peter Vincent's getting attacked and he's going to turn. And when they're sitting in the sunlight to protect them from all the other vampires, because there are other vampires. This is where Dave Franco comes back. He's like, oh, I'm smoking (laughs) and Jerry's like that's because you're turning (laughs) so I mean that that's that's a pretty cool I like concept Mm -hmm. I feel and then there's the issue when when they're when they're with Peter Vincent in his penthouse originally (laughs) and they're like well okay well how do I kill him it's like you got to get a stake through his heart but you have to be at really close range for that so and, and he'll never let you get that close okay well how do I how do I do it then and Peter's like well, oh, you set him on fire. They really hate that, and he won't be able to think straight. He's like, well, if he's on fire, then how do I get close to him? And they don't resolve that. <laughs> and so we come to find out that Charlie had a plan, which is set himself on fire mm-hmm. and then, like, grab him. Yeah. You know? And that way, he's already on fire. He doesn't need to, he's the one that's on fire, not the vampire. And so he can stake him. And so he gets this full body suit. He lights himself on fire. And they have this kind of interesting fight scene. And he stakes him with the stake instead of before daylight or before sunrise is over or whatever. Because it's like full on middle of the day or middle of the morning by this point. He gets a stake, which is like blessed by St. Vincent or something like that. And that is supposed to turn all of their spawn back into humans. Yeah. Uh, so you kill a, a, a vampire master with that, and then you get you get them all back. And that's how he ends up getting Amy back. Which, why would, if they were going to do that, why not have it be that he kills Dave Franco and have Ed be able to come back to life as a human? It's fucking stupid. Right, he comes out at that moment because you don't get as, as much fun moments in the penthouse that you get with having Ed, you know, you, you take Ed out of yet another scene. It's supposed to be also um, emotional. The fact that he has to kill his friend and he doesn't want to. Whereas it's he, so dumb because he never deals he, with that with Dave Franco. When he does kill him, McLovin says, it's okay, Charlie. It's okay. Yeah. Just well, really when he knows he's going to fucking die. stupid. Yeah. Like I was going to kill you. But I'm glad that you killed me instead. No, I think when he's dying, because what what's really happening is he's pissed at him, but he also has like these vampire hormones, which is <laughs> <laughs> like the best thing I can I can call them that make them kind of like they have bloodlust basically, right? And so they get really aggressive, they get catty, they get which is why Imogen you know, Poots goes after him when she right. turns, which is why Dave Franco's like, "Ha ha, I'm gonna fucking kill you," and then when. He- and then when he turns back, he's like, it was one hell of a night or whatever. It was one hell of a night. Like, what the fuck just happened? Because the last time, the last thing he remembers as a human was getting stoned. Yeah, they're getting stoned in the car watching what the fuck Charlie's doing because he hasn't been responding to them. Mm-hmm. And and that's when Jerry just broad daylight, like knocks on their window of their car. Like, oh, put away the weed, put away the weed. No, it's at night. No. He, oh, he, yeah. He, it yeah. has to be at night. You're yeah. Right. He wouldn't have yeah, been able yeah, to go out in daylight. But, but it's like it's like out on the street yes. where anybody can see. Yeah. Um. This Jerry is 
out brazen. Yeah, he's very brazen. He does not give a fuck. And he says that later. He's like, you know, 400 years of survival. He's not worried. He's got enough confidence. He doesn't think that anything is going to happen to him. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that that's the plot. In general, this movie is really just louder than the original. That's my assessment. It's a lot. It's got a lot of sexual stuff in it. It felt like a lot more sexual stuff. And did you notice all the cursing? It felt like every other word was the F word. Yeah. I feel like they were trying real hard to get that rated R. It was also 3D, just like... Yes, it was. (laughs) Just like My Bloody Valentine. So there's a lot of, like, things exploding at the camera and Mm -hmm. lunging at the camera and him standing center frame. So there's a lot of, like, framing where you have characters right in the center of the screen, right? And and that's not generally a tactic that's done unless it's for a purpose. And there didn't seem to be any like atmospheric purpose. So oh no, this was this was for the three D, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. he can turn, and it's like he's turning to the to the crowd or whatever, you know. <laughs> you see like a whole silhouette. You see the entire outline of his body. Whereas normally, even if you are center frame, they might like cut off the top of your head or or what have you. When Charlie comes to kill Jerry, he doesn't sneak in like he does in the original. He fucking busts the door down and he smashes all the windows. And this is what I mean when I say it's just louder. <laughs> they blow up the other house. You know, it's loud. Yes. And that's the big difference. And I feel like this movie could have done a lot better if it was a little more like the original. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike... My Bloody Valentine, where its problem was in the plot with the twist. In this, it's it's in all the all the ways they modernized it. There's some really cool modern twists here, you know, with with the way the story's told and everything. But they speed everything up, they make it louder, they're dropping all these F bombs, it's made for 3D. Like these are all kind of bad things. Yeah. As a reminder, I said this the last episode. This double feature was recommended by listener Brian S. He wrote in to podcemetery at gmail.com. And he said they ruined the new one because they made it too much like Twilight. Now, the movie does denigrate Twilight, like Kelsey said. But I kind of see what he means. It's like sexy, attractive young people. It has this really late 2000s lighting <laughs> with like pale skin and dark darks and it's got a lot of blues and oranges and it feels very very twilighty and bad cgi <laughs> you know so I, I can see what he's going for there and yeah it's not as good as the first one it's not yeah it's no. not nearly as good anton yelkin saves it a lot he's, yeah he's awesome. he does a great job Tony Collette's not in it enough to save it. No. Imogen Poots is is good. She's kind of bland. Yeah, but I mean, like, as a character, she's, like, she's a lot more straightforward. They have sex at the end, just like in the end of the original. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it feels less like a, oh, it's a reward for our hero. And it's more like a, oh, yeah. can we finally do the thing I want to do now? Like, <laughs> it's, it's more for her than it is for him, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Colin Farrell's hot, but a little much. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really like in the original. I think they do a better job explaining why he gets singled out and why like he's with Amy and Amy gets singled out and he also suspects him. And so that's why. But he gets kind of singled out by Jerry before he knows that Jerry knows. And Amy's not fucking nothing to him. They don't really do a good job explaining why he singles him out. 
because he does. He pays a lot of attention to him and he's killed other people in the neighborhood already. So why is it this time that he goes to the neighbor kid? You know, that doesn't make a lot of sense there. So there's a lot of great lines again. Yeah. For example, I think it's Dave Franco is like, how'd you get her to date you? And he's like, it's just game, man. (laughs) They talk about going to a Farscape convention. What is Farscape? Really? What is Farscape? Farscape is like a Star Trek show, but it had Jim Henson Muppets (laughs) as aliens. Have you been to a Farscape convention, babe? No, I've not been to a Farscape convention. But at this point, it's it's the way you make fun of people who watch Star Trek without bad-mouthing Star Trek. Because people really like Star Trek. It's, <laughs> it's 2011, I think. Yeah, 2009 was when the Star Trek remake came out. So you're probably not going to get a lot of distance making fun of Star Trek. But you can make fun of Farscape. Okay. You want me to go tell your pals how well we really know each other? The Lego contests, the Farscape conventions, the costumes? Please stop. Or how about that one time you took my stretch Armstrong so you could tie it around your balls and jerk off for an hour? Stop. Then be my backup. There's a stupid line by Imogen Poots. She's talking about how she's hungry, and he's like, you're always hungry. And she goes, I know, I'm insatiable. That's yeah. bad. They also make fun of his shoes. He says it takes a real man to wear puce. Yeah, and that's one of the things that makes him a little charming is because he's like complimenting Charlie while at the same time being like, those are kind of girly, that's a kind of girly color, you know? And he's like, oh, you play basketball? Yeah, I totally play. And then the mom does the very mom thing and is like, they stand out and they camp out in front of the store for a week and are waiting for those shoes. He doesn't actually play, but he's obsessed with the shoes. And Jerry does the cool guy thing of being like, you know, no, I like the shoes, you know, like doesn't make him feel like shit. You know, it takes a real man to wear puce. <laughs> <laughs> He's obsessed. I mean, they, they, they sleep on sidewalks to get them. I play, though. Well, it takes a real man to wear uh, puce. Huh. I like him. They cut off McLovin's arm and he's just kind of annoyed about it. That is straight up out of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Not the TV show, but the movie. Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, plays a vampire in it. And I vaguely remember that. He gets his arm ripped off. Oh. And it by Luke Perry. <laughs> He's like reaching in through the through the 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 roof of his van and, and Luke Perry runs into a uh, a tree and he flies off of it, leaving his arm there. And and tearing the sleeve off of his leather jacket. And his response is only, you ruined my new jacket. (sighs) And he gestures to the other vampires. He's like, kill him a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You ruined my new jacket. Kill him a lot. I love that line. And it stands out to me. So when they do it here with McLovin, written by Joss Whedon, by the way. Clever dialogue, you know. Very. So when they're going through the house of their friend who's died. Yeah. Uh, Ed goes into his room and he attacks this thing because he thinks it's a person and he goes, oh, I feel stupid. It's a cardboard cutout. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really cute. McLovin's fantastic in this and we don't get nearly enough of him pre-vampire. Post-vampire where he's trying to act badass reminds me a little bit of Kick-Ass and when he's he's trying to act badass, it's funnier when... Like he's undermined and they don't really undermine him a lot. They, they 
kind of take him seriously in this. And it's like, well, that's not where you get the humor out of McLovin. <sighs> There's a really good line talking good lines. What? When they confront Peter Vincent and they're like, oh, no, you're really an expert. You really know all this stuff. Like all this stuff is actually antiques and it's <laughs> actually like useful against vampires. And he responds with, what, you think I collect all this shit because it's bitching? <laughs> <laughs> well, I collected all this stuff because it was bitching. I like that line, too. I think I wrote it down. <laughs> So when they're still in the house, they're fighting, and Charlie goes, what are you, on drugs? And he goes, no, well, yeah, but that's not what this is. <laughs> Which was funny. See, McLovin's cool. <laughs> There's a harsh line that he says to Ed, which I think is kind of the, the point where Ed, Ed decides to do something on his own. He says, uh, Charlie says, my life is better without you. Mm-hmm. Real harsh line. Yeah, it's a bummer. I moved on. If you don't, if you didn't, you don't have to. That's fine. But I've grown up. Mm-hmm. Ew, there's this scene where Colin Farrell is talking to Charlie. Oh, is this about women? Yeah. Yeah. It's real gross and unnecessary. Like I said, there's a lot of weird sexual stuff in this. And he's just like, you know... Uh, your girl's given off a scent that she's neglected. Yeah. Uh, insinuating, you know, you're not having sex with her. She's ripe. Yeah. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah, no, when they make him like this alpha male dude bro type, mm -hmm. that's when they really get it wrong. Mm -hmm. He should be charming, which he is in a lot of the scenes. He should be clever, mm -hmm. you know, and funny. But when he's dude bro like that, nah, nah, I'm not having it. So when the girlfriend is trying to get charlie to have sex with her right he he's worried about his stripper neighbor doris and he say and she says she's a stripper and he goes she's a go-go dancer and she's talking about no she's a stripper and he goes rude <laughs> she's like yeah remove two pieces of cloth two thin strips of cloth and she's a stripper <laughs> also the stupid car chase scene yeah really pissed me off you're in the fucking desert. Go off the road. Because at one point he comes around her and he stops. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. Drive, Drive around, around him. Yeah, uh-huh. What's the problem here? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to go off the road that far. I mean, I know you don't want to get out, out in the middle of nowhere with a vampire chasing you, but, like, you already are. <laughs> And if he's blocking the road, drive around him. But instead, she drives right into him, which I thought was pretty neat. Because Charlie tells her to. Oh, no, this is dumb. This part is dumb. Yeah. He, 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 it makes it look like he pushes forward and push, forces her to go. He's in the back seat. There's no way he's yeah. touching he's the, in the pedal. He's in the back seat and he grabs the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. So she has to go straight. And then it's like pedal to the metal, gun it forward. And it's like, well. Why is she acting like she doesn't have any control over what Charlie just did to her? It has to be her foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of dumb. <laughs> At the very end, like Chris said, they're having they're about to have sex, and Peter Vincent comes in, and he goes and he's like, "Oh, I left my keys, you know, whatever." And then as he's walking out, he says, "Don't do anything I wouldn't do." And then he stops and he goes, "That's not much, sushi, mini golf," and then walks out. <laughs> And I'm like, hey. <laughs> I like both of those things. <laughs> but he's a rocker. That sounds like a great date, actually. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. That's it. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 
60? 72. Huh. Overrated, underrated. This is really difficult for me because it feels like Anton is in it and therefore deserves a better score. Keeping in mind the original got a 91 or a 92 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely well regarded. Mm-hmm. And this is like 20 points below that. Mm-hmm. Personally, I feel that's a pretty good score. Before I saw this, I would have said I, I'd have given it a 70. I'd probably give it a 66. Yeah. There's like a lot good here. I know I've said this a lot lately, but there's it's it's a bummer because there's a there's a lot of really promising stuff. Mm-hmm. It could have been another good remake. The Rotten Tomatoes consensus is it may not have been necessary to remake the 1985 cult classic, but the new Fright Night benefits from terrific performances by Colin Farrell and David Tennant. And it's smart, funny, and stylishly gory to boot. Certified fresh at 72%. It's weird how much I hated it the first time I saw it. Yeah. I didn't hate it anywhere near as much as the first time. Yeah. So, Brian, maybe watch it again? You like it a little bit better? I don't know. Yeah. Take some time between the last time you saw it. <laughs> I'll see it Forget again. Forget everything and then watch it again and maybe you'll actually like it. But thank you again for writing in, Brian. We really appreciate it and thank you for listening. Anyone else? If you would like to write in, you can. If you'd like to make a suggestion, please do so. You can write us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Kelsey. Yes. What are we watching next time? Next week, we are watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, we're getting there. The really popular, silent German impressionistic. What is it? Expressionist. Expressionist. Yes. German expressionism. I'm really excited for this. And the Babadook. Yeah, which is, he gets a lot of his cues from the iconography, the um, the visual aspects of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So, I like the Babadook. Me too. I've seen it a couple times now. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it again. Me too. But until then, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, You're so cool, Brewster! <laughs> say before we you want me to give the premise yeah go ahead i'll skip this i'll cut chris cut that out (laughs) oh take that out kelsey yep what is the fright night remake all about didn't we already say this sorry i should go kelsey Mm -hmm. what happens in the fright night remake hey listen 80s chris sarandon He was a dreamboat back then.
excuse. 